Welcome to the Create with Katrina Julia show. I am super excited, you guys, to be featuring Joel Hawbaker, who is a real-life leader. He is a speaker. He is an expert on blended family coaching. He is an author, a coach, an award-winning teacher, and a husband and father. Joel, who has also been recently featured on our creator series, is the epitome of courageous humility and transitions and experiences with everything that I mentioned, as well as everything in between, which you'll be hearing on today's episode. And one quote that Joel mentioned that I want to highlight that I resonate and love, and I believe you will too is what you see and what you hear depends a great deal on where you are standing. It also depends on what sort of person you are. From The Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis. Welcome to the show, Joel. Katrina, thank you. I am really excited to chat with you today. Um, I love doing podcast interviews because you get to write your own intro a lot of the time and people have no idea if you're lying. So... uh, (laughs) I really appreciate all of that. Thank you. That's absolutely true. And it, it makes it so much easier. I was on one recently too, where they're like, hey, just send us what you want us to say. And right? I was like, wow. Like, I like it to be spontaneous, but right. to your point, I'm pulling from your story. I'm mm-hmm. pulling from your photo. I'm pulling on all these different themes. And so, wow, you have had such an incredible history and seeing like where you've come from, all the transformation, being seen on NBC, Fox and more. And so much of your history, when I looked at, for example, some of the things you talked about in your story, that you've been everything from a soccer coach to a financial planner, to a blended family and step family coach, to a firefighter, all these different incredible things. Yeah, I've been um, I've been really blessed to have had a lot of jobs. It's really funny because I don't feel that old where I've had that many. Uh, I'm only, I'm only 37. Um, but I did, you know, I typically worked at least two jobs at a time. And so they, they do tend to, uh, they tend to add up. Um, and it's really fun because I've learned different things from all of those different jobs. Like, you know, you learn a lot different lessons being a firefighter than you do from being a pizza delivery guy. Um, but, but they're very valuable lessons anyway. You know, I learned a lot of different lessons from being a bartender than I did from being a shipping clerk. Um, Mm -hmm. but again, those are, they were great experiences. Um, some of those are jobs I wouldn't necessarily want again, but I'm glad to have done them at some point in my life. Um, and again, it's a lot of those lessons I try to share in the classroom. I, I, most of my adult life, I've been a high school history and Bible teacher, and it always amuses my students when I tell them all the many different jobs I've had. Cause I don't know about you, but I remember being a student and looking at my teachers and thinking they don't actually know they, you know, they're not real. I mean, they're real adults, but they're you know, they just teach. They don't really do anything. And um, I I was an arrogant kid. What can I say? Um, And now that I am a teacher, it's like it it helps to humanize me, I think, in the eyes of my students to let them know that a lot of the jobs that they are going to have in the next few years I've had and some of the jobs that Mm -hmm. some of their parents currently have 
I've also had, again, like you mentioned, the firefighting and the financial planning and the working in restaurants or whatever it may be. Um, and so it's just, it's entertaining to share some of those stories and, and see the kids' eyebrows kind of go up and go, oh, he, he doesn't just read old books and grade awful freshman term papers. That's, that's good to know. Okay, cool. He's a real person. Wow, so much wisdom in that that reminds me, one, to share you know, with whoever's listening, but two, also from my own experiences. So you talked about you know, all these different experiences, which to your point, I definitely relate. I've, you know, my first job, I remember being Popeye's fried chicken. Nice. Three, yeah. So I lasted three weeks in, gained 10 pounds to, <laughs> I, to IHOP host, to working at an oncologist's office. So I definitely relate. Wow. That's quarter. very different. Yes. To, you know, who I am today. And then to your point, like two things that you highlighted that I really resonate. I want to dive in a little bit deeper before two other points that came up is lessons learned. And I love to highlight that because I think so many times, and I want to be especially sensitive to the environment, you know, that we're in right now, Mm -hmm. you know, as a, as a, as a state, as a country, people tend to sometimes regret or condemn themselves or judge themselves. And I am a firm believer that nothing is ever wasted, that all things work together, you know, for the good. And um, so the lessons learned that there's always lessons learned. There's always value from everything. And at the same time, you mentioned that you wouldn't necessarily do everything (laughs) Totally to that. I was just talking about that on a recent show, but at the same time, you don't regret it or you don't judge yourself for it because you did the best you knew how to do at the time. So let's dive into maybe a couple of the lessons that stand out, certainly, and and or maybe what you wouldn't do again and why. Okay, yeah, no. uh, So I love that what you said there. It reminds me of something that I wrote in my. Uh, book, Inverted Leadership, where I said that every person, every job you have is either a leadership position or it's training for a future leadership position. So, um, and I really believe that's true. Every job you have, every task you do, it's all either leadership or it's training for future leadership. Because I know that when I was bartending, I was not necessarily thinking of it as leadership training. But at the same time, one of the, one of the great lessons I learned from bartending is the actual value that exists in being able to connect with people very quickly, right? The, mm-hmm. the, um, one of the big things I learned about being a bartender is that if you, will, uh, if you will listen to people, if you'll ask questions and actually be interested in their answers, they're going mm-hmm. to um, they're gonna respond by opening up. And uh, obviously, as a bartender, that's how you make your money is by um, interacting with people and also by being a little bit entertaining. Uh, again, I'm, I'm a high school teacher. I'm not a huge fan of the edutainment idea of education. I think education is different than entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. but, I, but I also believe that if you can keep students engaged and entertained yes. a little bit, they're going to learn a lot more. And so yes. I, you, know, we, you can't see because I'm sitting down. We're doing this podcast interview. I'm only about five foot three. So I'm not a real big oh, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I am I am not tall even a little bit. So when I bartended, I played that up a lot. So whenever people would order top shelf liquor, I would open one of the bottom cabinets and stand on a shelf and knock the bottle off the top shelf like it was an accident, like I was trying to grab it. And then I would just catch yeah. it right before it would shatter all over the, the marble countertop or whatever. And people go, <gasps> and I go, no, I'm just kidding. I got it. And then I'd flip it in my hand like Tom Cruise in cocktail. And then I'd pour the drink and then put it back on the shelf. And it's just, it's goofy, but it's a little bit of entertainment and people remember that. And so when they become regulars, they look for that sort of thing. But even if they're only there that one time, 
that's something that they may remember, right? So you create an experience for somebody and that goes a long way as well. So I try to do the same thing in my classroom. Um, I have a deal with my students. My tests are notoriously difficult because I am a brutally difficult essay grader and there's essays on every Mm -hmm. test. And mm-hmm. uh, I tell them beginning of the semester, nobody gets 100 on the first test because nobody writes a perfect essay the first time. Well, what if you do? I'm just telling you, you don't. Right. I've been teaching 14 <laughs> years. Nobody. I will find something wrong with your essay. I promise. But here's the deal I'll make with you. The first time any kid in this class gets a 100 on a test, I will stand on my head in front of the entire class. That's awesome. And I do because I took gymnastics when I was a kid. I can still do a cartwheel and a front handspring. A headstand is easy peasy. And so it often happens that the kids will take a test on a Tuesday. I get them graded. So I end up dressing up on Wednesdays every every day for seven years. I've worn a uh, coat and tie on Wednesday. I call it dress up Wednesday. And for no mm-hmm. no good reason, just that way I don't get mistaken for a freshman because at five foot three, if you dress like a kid, you look like a kid. Um, yeah. Right. And so a lot of times I end up doing a headstand in my suit and tie on Wednesday morning a month mm-hmm. into the semester. And for whatever reason, kids remember that, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the big lessons I learned is, again, a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of engagement, a lot of listening. Man, that goes a long way in terms of forming relationships with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so much wisdom there before. Oh, did you want to add anything to that? No, I mean, that's that's the big one. The other lesson I learned from uh, from both waiting tables and bartending and also being a, a, a grocery bagger, which was my first, what I consider my real job other than cutting grass, is that uh, people that are in those positions are still people and it's good to treat them like people, right? Your waiters, yes. your bartenders, your fast food clerks, your your bag boys at your grocery store, those are human beings and it really goes a long way if you if you treat them like it, if you talk to them politely, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So much wisdom in that, uh, focusing first on the lessons learned before the what, what you do. Mm-hmm. Again, is one, I love that you talked about just to reemphasize the connection because so many times, you know, I think, and I've definitely been guilty of this in the past, where sometimes if you get too focused on what you want, mm-hmm. then you forget to truly listen and connect and really listen to what the other person wants. I think it was Zig Ziglar that said, you know, give enough people what they want. Inevitably, you get what you want. It's mm-hmm. the law of self right? Yeah. It's, but it's not. Yeah. Go that, ahead. That's, well, no, that's exactly it. It's similar to what Stephen Covey wrote as well when he said, seek first to understand before seeking to be understood, right? Yes. And then along those lines, I love that you honored education. And it's a little bit different, obviously, than having a full-blown, you know, concert, right? <laughs> right. Um, but at the same time, when you make it fun and that experience, so I can relate to your story because I was actually an adjunct professor at Georgia State my nice. first full year. Yeah, my first in accounting, mm-hmm. my first full year of being an entrepreneur in 2011. Okay. Also, five, three, also being, you know, this like blonde. I so many times students would walk in and do a double take and they're like, are you in grad school or an undergrad with us? Are Are you you in the wrong classroom? Because I'm sitting where the professor is supposed to be sitting. Like, are you a TA? Are you a teaching assistant? And I laugh and I'm like, no, I'm the professor. Go have a seat. We're going to get started in five, 10 minutes. Right. But to your point, it was like always this like, like not getting frustrated by it because using it also as a quote unquote competitive advantage, mm-hmm. but also the respect component. Like you said, you would do the dress up Wednesday. Yeah. 
But the experience is so key. Like we would bring in people from, you know, making it entertaining, bring in people from consulting or doing a fraud, you know, investigation, like real time, or they would present in front of real executives from companies in Atlanta to make it real. And then I love what you talked about the grocery aspect that definitely is. So just hearing your story and getting to know you more and more, you know, and connecting over these last several weeks, like I can tell and feel like you love to learn. Mm -hmm. You're extremely multi-passionate and you like nothing is quote unquote beneath you. Like you've definitely tried and lived the leadership and the grocery example definitely hit home because of one of my stories, which you didn't even know. I also worked in Kroger as a checker when nice. I was in high school. Yeah. I remember Kroger from when I lived in Georgia. That is a great place. So I was in Kroger in Houston, but and obviously I have it here in Georgia as well. Mm-hmm. And I think Every time, because I, you know, have been in that role or my dad, you know, was a server, you know, he owned his restaurants, like growing up and different things. I always think of exactly your point. I think it's so important now more than ever that people really think about like, this is a human being and this could be you point in time. I mean, hello, we've had over 20 million people file unemployment in the last month. Yeah. Yeah, and it is. It's amazing. I, I love. Uh, I've seen a lot in uh, education circles where people will say, "Listen, you you shouldn't treat the janitor any differently than you treat the administrator, right?" Yes. And, and I've also seen a couple teachers who uh, they give bonus points on their test. They'll ask questions like, "What's the janitor's name?" or "What's the lunch lady's name?" or and the whole idea is to encourage the students to remember those are actual human beings, right? Yes. And and, and, and you really need to treat them that way. A thousand percent. I'm sure you've done things like that. And I definitely have too. It comes to like, you know, you almost put in like this little catch thing in an Mm -hmm. exam or a quiz to see who's really paying attention or who's going beyond the essay, beyond the assignment to really show that critical thinking and they're thinking for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And and I do. I I love that you bring that up a lot because it is, it's, it's important to remember because uh, again, you never know when that could be you, or maybe that's been you in the past. And if it hasn't been like, consider yourself lucky because the truth is very few people make it all the way through your life without working some job that they just don't like. And I'm not trying to yeah. knock any job. I, again, you've heard some of the ones I've had. I've also been a, I've been a college recruiter. I've been a trash collector. I've been a soccer referee. I've been a baseball field administrator. I'm the guy who like had to make sure there was enough food in the uh, concession stand while also making sure the grass was cut. Like I've done a million different things and I didn't like a lot of them. But they were jobs that needed to be done. And at the time, they were jobs I needed in order to get my bills paid. So, you know, when you when you got a family, you do what you have to do to take care of your wife and kids. And even if it's not fun, like that's, that's what, you know, that's one of the things I taught my kids when they, <laughs> when they were little. I can remember. So my oldest one is actually going to be um, 16 years old in wow. less than a month. Yeah. So I got started early. I got married for the first time when I was 19 and had a, mm-hmm. my first daughter was born uh, less than a month after I got my college degree. So we had been, mm-hmm. we'd wow. been, yeah, we'd been married for just over a year. We found out we we're pregnant. So my entire senior year of college was full-time student, had a full-time job waiting tables and bartending, had a part-time job, uh, and then also had a pregnant wife. And I was, I was 21 years old. Um, wow. So you basically had like four full-time jobs. It was, there was a lot going on. Um, I don't know that I actually slept a lot. That may be why I still fall asleep in the afternoons. Now I'm still recovering, you know, 16 years later. Um, <laughs> but, uh, wow. 
but I remember when my older daughter was, yeah, uh, she was in preschool. She was going to her preschool graduation, and the teacher was Miss Susie, who was wonderful. And Miss Susie would say, you know, she'd take two minutes and talk about each kid. Little Johnny always helped me put the folders away, and little, uh, you know, little Sarah would help make sure the kids put their uh, lunch boxes in there. Uh, cubby holes or whatever it was. And, and then she got to my kid and she looks up and she says, Carly, Carly was my little teacher helper. And I thought, uh Oh, <laughs> because she's, because the thing is the kids half me and that's not always necessarily the best thing in the world. And so the teacher looks mm-hmm. up and she says, anytime the students didn't want to do their work, keep in mind, Carly at this point is four years old. She'd say, anytime the teachers, uh, anytime the students didn't want to do their work, Carly would look up at them and she would say, sometimes you have to do stuff you don't want to do because that's life. (laughs) (laughs) And as the teacher's saying that, Carly's standing up on the stage in her little four-year-old cap and gown, just nodding her head, little ponytail bobbing, you know, and I just thought, oh, how many times have I told her that already? She's only four years old, right? But, But there's a lot of truth in that. Like every adult, every one of your listeners knows that's exactly what life is a lot of the time. Sometimes you have to do stuff you don't want to do. I don't want to do dishes today, but if I want clean dishes, I probably need to wash some. I don't necessarily want to do laundry, but you know what? If I leave it for my wife to do, that's not doing my marriage any favors. I don't want to cut the grass. I also don't want to live in a house that looks like it's abandoned. So sometimes I cut the grass. Like it's the, And those are little things, but there's a lot of truth in that statement. And, and again, that was one of the many, many lessons that I learned from having a lot of jobs that weren't necessarily my favorite couple things that come up to mind there, like just as I'm thinking of our conversation and looking at my notes, I, one, like, I love that example of illustrating, you know, how that's impacting your family, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how you walk through that yourself. Then what comes back to mind and actually tying back to previous points. So you talked about the leadership component where some mm-hmm. roles are leadership driven. Yep. And some roles are training for leadership. And I definitely remind myself that of all the time that, okay, this isn't the best task, but how can it serve me or how can I automate it or how can I delegate it? Right. But then also delegation, you want to be able to speak to the task, right? Mm-hmm. Because then that's what the leader does. And I was jotting down notes and of thinking about some things from a biblical perspective. And I definitely want to touch on that because I love that you also, obviously you're a history teacher, but mm-hmm. you also have taught and do different things from a biblical perspective. And so it was coming to mind and I read a recent book by T.D. Jakes, Crushing. Okay. And what comes to mind a ton, and I think this speaks heavily to leadership, is pruning mm-hmm. the problem, the purpose, and then being prepared for promotion. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, that's good. I like I that a lot. Yeah, no, I, I do. I, I like that a lot. Um, I've actually got a different T.D. Jakes book sitting on a shelf right behind me that uh, my stepdad gave me. It's called Destiny. So I'm looking forward to getting into that pretty soon. That's one of my next books on my list. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I haven't read it yet, but I'm uh, I'm actually really excited about it. It should be good. Um, yeah, I just listened literally to the sample of Destiny like two days ago because I was lining up my next couple books. So nice. that's so fun. That's excellent. Speaking, speaking of alignment. hmm what roles would you maybe not have? Like, what roles maybe would you not revisit if you had a choice? Uh, you mean like some of those jobs that I had? Yes. Um, almost all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate to say that, but like the the in my adult life, the job that I've enjoyed the most by far has been teaching and coaching. 
um, because I, I taught and coached for uh, six years and then went through my divorce and then got out of teaching for two years. And in those two years, I worked a million different jobs. That's when I did um, some more bartending, some waiting of tables. I worked as a financial planner, a shipping clerk, a firefighter, a construction worker, um, you know, and I did all, I, I did those things in combinations of twos and threes. And it's, oh, I was a, I was an overnight security guard for a defense contractor. I was a, I was a security guard at a, uh, a medical clinic here in town, um, dealing with people who were trying to break their addiction to methamphetamine. So that was a lot of fun at five foot three to be the guy in charge of keeping people high on meth from beating each other up in the parking lot. Um, that's really fun to share with my students. Anytime they're getting a little bit antsy, I just remind them, listen, I've I've dealt with people that were on meth. I can handle freshmen. I don't care how big you think you are. Like you're a child. We'll be fine. Um, and it was just, it, but I, I wouldn't necessarily want to do those again. I learned a lot from them. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, I, those weren't those are not where my passions are. My passions are helping people. My passions are uh, talking about things like history and, and things like uh, lessons that you can learn from it. I love connecting with people on a personal basis, which is really hard to do, um, you know, just as a waiter or a bartender. Like you can make quick connections, but that's not somewhere where you get to know people really well. And so mm-hmm. um, as much as I learned from those jobs, I, I didn't really love any of them because they weren't they weren't what I want to do long term. They weren't things that lined up with what I love to do. Um, I have mm-hmm. all kinds of respect for people that are firefighters because that job is really hard. Um, the part mm-hmm. of it that I liked the least was the firefighting. Um, mm-hmm. Like all the rest of it was fine. Like I don't mind vacuuming the station house. I didn't mind washing the trucks. I loved eating all the food. I liked the training. But listen, being uh-huh. being woken up at three o'clock in the morning by this giant god awful loud buzzer. To, to go put out a fire at another crack house or another place where the dude is cooking meth in his bathroom. That was not mm-hmm. fun. I did not enjoy mm-hmm. that, but you, you know, you can't pick and choose which fires you put out. So even if the guy is sitting outside his padlocked detached garage in a lawn chair, making sure nobody looks through the windows because God knows what he has mm-hmm. in there, we still have to put out mm-hmm. the fire. I didn't really enjoy That's- that very much, but my, my hat is, definitely off to the people who do those things because we need them and, and their job is tough and the hours are awful um, and it's dangerous. Uh, but like I said, those are, those are not ones I'd want to do again, just cause I, I didn't love them very much. I'd much rather do things that I love. And for most of my adult life, I've been extremely blessed to get to do things that I love, like teaching and like coaching. Mm-hmm. So much wisdom and so many things that came to mind as you were speaking. I really relate to is number one is like you said, not everything you love, not everything you would do again. However, you openly and willingly would do different things. And I'm reminded just like, you know, oftentimes as people that, you know, whether it's as a culture or globally, it's being reminded of humility, mm-hmm. which obviously you talk about, and we're going to dive in deeper to courageous humility. Um, so I feel like from every angle you exemplify that and just being used as, you know, a human being used as a vessel. So that comes to mind. The second thing is like you talked about, like the passion. So obviously it's, you know, some things are much easier to enjoy, but you can also find joy in the process, even when it's painful. Mm. I definitely relate to that on a number of levels. And then, like you said, ultimately, Everything was leading you in different ways, even though it may not have looked like it, into teaching and coaching and focusing on, you know, blended 
uh, family coaching as well as being a speaker and a coach and a teacher. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly it is uh, again, like I said earlier, everything you do is either leadership or it's some kind of training for leadership. And I'm thankful to have learned that lesson because it allowed me to see things through a different lens. Um, I know a lot of your listeners are going to be familiar with uh, sort of business guru, Bob Berg. He talks a lot about the idea of reframing where you look at something from a different perspective. It helps you understand. Joel, it I don't know. You, did you move it? Because the audio just got really spotty. Uh, no. Is this better? Can you hear me again? Keep talking. Is this better? Yes. Yes. Now it's good. Weird. Yes. I, Can you repeat what you're saying? Cause yeah. Yeah. I'll be glad to. Um, so I'm sure that a lot of your, I'm sure that a lot of your listeners are familiar with business guru, Bob Berg. He talks a lot about reframing the idea of looking mm -hmm. at something from a different perspective and how that helps you see it differently and therefore think about it differently. Well, that's part of what I tried to do with a lot of the jobs I didn't really enjoy. Um, again, it's a question of what can I learn from it? What about it can be enjoyable? And how can this pay off in the future? Um, so that's something that I think is important to remember. And I love, love that you brought up the word humility because it is a key component to everything that I teach. Um, you were very kind to extend that word toward me. That is not a word that most people who knew me up until my mid-20s would ever have applied to me. Um, I think prideful and arrogant would have been much more the accurate descriptors that would have been used. Um, and I think that my children might still use those words, uh, which would not necessarily be inaccurate either. Um, but, you know, I, I'm very, again, I've been very grateful to have um, learned a lot, especially since my divorce about a decade ago. Uh, God's really changed who I am. He's changed what my heart is. And I learned a ton about humility because I lost everything that was important to me because of some poor decisions. And um, mm -hmm. as a result of that, you know, when, when you don't have anything left to be proud of, you don't really have any pride left. And I remember being in that place, you know, I went through over about a two year period, I lost my dad to cancer and he was my hero. And then wow. um, my marriage was already not great. And then it definitely got worse after that because my anger issues, um, I've always been an angry person. You can call it Napoleon complex or short man syndrome or whatever you want to. I've, <laughs> I've always been an angry person um, and that didn't help my first marriage either. And so mm -hmm. we ended up getting divorced. And so about two, uh, within a year and a half or two years after my dad's death, I'd gone through divorce. I'd gone through foreclosure. I'd gone through bankruptcy. My ex-wife had our kids 12 days out of 14. So I didn't get to see my daughters as much as I wanted to. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't, you know, I, I had, I wasn't playing soccer anymore. I used to take pride in being an athlete. I wasn't teaching anymore because I got out of teaching for a couple of years. And so I used to take pride in being a teacher and a soccer coach. And everything that I once had that I hung my hat on was gone. Mm -hmm. And again, when you, mm -hmm. when you don't have anything left to be proud of, that's when you really realize, okay, so I don't know what I was proud of to begin with. If everything can be taken away, then I need to realize a couple of things. One, I am less of a big deal than I like to think. And two, yes. my identity needs to come from somewhere else. It doesn't need to come from my job. It doesn't need to come from my marriage or from my kids. It doesn't need to come from my reputation, right? My identity needs to come from knowing who I am in God's eyes. And that's something that took me until my late 20s to really understand. And, and one of the things that really helped me understand that was the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Um, he has mm -hmm. a great explanation of humility in that book when he says something along the lines of humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility mm -hmm. is just not thinking of yourself at all, right? That's the mm -hmm. idea. And, uh, mm -hmm. and again, that's something that it didn't make sense to me until after my divorce. 
And then mm-hmm. I, I looked back and I realized how many selfish decisions that I had made. I realized how selfish my mindset had been because even my decision-making process was tainted with that pride. And, mm-hmm. um, and so now I've been remarried for almost six years. And basically um, my question to myself a lot of the time is, is this something I would have done when I was younger or is this something that I should do differently now? Or if I did it this way in my first marriage, was that good or bad? And should I approach it differently now? Because I want my marriage to be successful. I want my wife to know that she is loved and cared about. And um, in order to do that, I need to have different decision-making paradigms. I need to make sure that my actions are different. I need to make sure that I am a different person in a lot of ways mm-hmm. than I was before. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, it's it's those lessons learned and hopefully applied that can allow me to mm-hmm. do things differently now. And all that starts with humility. Mm-hmm. I love how you walked us through so much of your story, Joel, and the process and admitting and acknowledging, you know, the journey. Because one, I was laughing because I relate so much. <laughs> I believe that A, things don't happen by accident. They are by divine appointment and they're downloaded divinely you know, and connecting through podcast guests and that platform. So super grateful for them um, as well. Mm-hmm. Two, talking like to your point, you said, you know, the, the focus, like you said, that now your focus is courageous humility, but you had to go through that pruning and through that process, you know, to get there. Right. And, and I love that you acknowledge because that's why I was laughing because I can completely, not the same story, totally different stories. However, I can relate massively on the pride and the arrogance because, you know, oftentimes, you know, we're human. Right. And I love you were talking about how God changed your heart because I can definitely relate to that massively that, you know, when things come easy to us, like you said, you worked in all these things, you had all these experiences, but, you know, to a point up until a certain point, things were flowing, you you know, things were easy and it's really easy in that process to be self-reliant. Right. right. Yep. Because it's, oh, I did this, I did it. It was easy. So, quote unquote, a lot of humility is not required. Right. I must just but be great because I did when, these things. Exactly. Exactly. So, I can totally relate to that, whether it was going through school, whether it was, you know, different accomplishments. So, like, as you were talking, it's like, okay, yep, relate to when I had the, the ease in education or the status or the recognition. I haven't been married yet. However, when, you know, when you walk through, you know, transformation, when you walk through financial ruin, which definitely I relate and massive people relate, especially today, when you walk through literally having everything that you pointed to for the pride and arrogance, you know, the false gods, Mm -hmm. the idolatry that, oh, I must be great because I did this. I must be great because. I have this relationship or this marriage, or I must be great because I have this status, this recognition, this whatever, fill in the blank that I did, that I created, Right. not acknowledging the creator and how you said like God changed your heart and completely like, as I reflect on my own journey, and I know a lot of people are going to relate to this, especially now that, you know, this job, this industry, this money that quote unquote was the God when they knew all along, like you or I knew that, um, no, this isn't God. This is, right. this is a blessing or this is my product or you're picking things because of provision 
instead of focusing on the creator and your passion and aligning to that. And I love that you talked about the, the less of a big deal, <laughs> totally <laughs> relate. And Completely relate. So like, that's why like, to me, like God told me a while ago, don't highlight your degrees. Don't talk about any of that right. unless somebody asks specifically, right. goes and looks at something because that's a blessing. That's right. a platform that I've given you to reach more people. Right. Not to idolize that. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I love that you identity. Oh my God, this resonates so much for me. And I think it's going to resonate more and more people like as this episode comes out and what is happening with our cities, our states, our countries, and the world that we have collectively as humans, like I'm reminded so much, like I'm in uh, first Kings and second Kings right now. Mm-hmm. Like we're literally the same thing. We idolize all these things externally. The right. status, the title, the, yep. the recognition, and we have found even whether you believe in God or you don't, I think we can all collectively agree that as a you know as a world, we have attached our identity right. into you know these titles, these positions, oh these followers, this 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 that, and I'm reminded you know massively of. Like you said, finding, you know, our identity in Christ, it becomes a whole different ball game when you serve from that space. And then I'm reminded of the movie Overcomer, which I saw last year by the Kendrick brothers and with Priscilla Shire, which is absolutely amazing on this topic. And then I love what you talked about with mere Christianity and C.S. Lewis. I got to go to one of his plays here in Georgia about two years ago, where he literally walks walks you through, you know, being an atheist to mm-hmm. becoming. Oh, did you go see the, the one man show? Yes, yes. The one man oh, show. Exactly. I've, I've got that on DVD. I showed it to my Bible class this spring. It's so good. It's so good. Like, it's literally like the one man show, but like mm-hmm. hearing his mindset. Right. And I like. I wasn't an atheist, but my, like, I was basically like, I was the girl. I joke and tell people all the time. I was the one that Jesus had to leave the 99 sheep, like over and over and over again. <laughs> like not just once. Right. But like repeatedly. Yep. Like, prone. okay, here she goes. Again. Let me come back and grab her. Yeah. So, and then I'm reminded of literally the, the, top two, the first two, you know, the, the, when Jesus says like, focus on these two commandments, like these are the two greatest Mm -hmm. commandments, love your neighbor. Oh, love me with all your might, soul, you know, heart and strength, Mm -hmm. body and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And we often forget like one to receive God's love fully to, to love ourselves and what that means, which we cannot understand in our own strength until we understand God's love. And then three, like then like loving our neighbor, like, and having that compassion and that gratitude and that humility, like so much of what you said in your story. Yeah. I, I love that you, uh, that you touched on those two because they are there. They're important things for us to talk about. And I hope that uh, a lot of your listeners do resonate with with what we've been chatting about here today because these are things that are there of um, eternal importance um, as well as temporal mm-hmm. importance here uh, but I do I, I love this concept of humility I love the uh, the role that it plays in um, helping people realize 
uh, that life is. Well, I, I saw a post about this yesterday. It cracked me up. It said, um, you know, somebody's going to discover the center of the universe and they're going to be really disappointed to find out that they are not it. Uh, and I feel like that's, <laughs> you know, that's that's true for a lot of us. The, the day that we realized we were not the center of the universe was kind of a hard day. Um, yeah. And but it, but it's important for us to remember. And so one of the things that I'm loving in this journey of entrepreneurship that I'm on is learning how to serve people in a different way. One of the reasons I love being a teacher is because I love talking with the high school kids. I enjoy t- chatting about history. That was my major. And uh, I just love it as a topic. Uh, but also because I love sharing about life lessons in the classroom. Uh, at the end of every semester, I give out a list of things to the kids. I say, here's what I hope you remember from my class that has nothing to do with history. Because if, if, mm-hmm. all, if all you remember is the random historical facts or names or dates, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But that's not really what we're here to do. What we're here to do is we're here to become better human beings. History mm-hmm. is just the vehicle. I've got a, a former mm-hmm. uh, college soccer teammate of mine who said that about coaching soccer. He's actually, he's one of the top, I'm telling you, he's one of the top high school soccer coaches in the country. He lives in Tennessee. Uh, his name's Chris Cushenberry. And he was quoted in a coaching book that I have on my shelf where he said, you know, our job is to turn these young people into better adults, into better people. Soccer is just the vehicle. And I completely mm-hmm. agree with him. That's that's how I feel about whether it's the teaching or the coaching or whatever. My job is to help people become better people. And then whatever mm-hmm. I'm doing, that's just the medium. So if the medium is going to church that morning, then great. At church that morning, my job is to help encourage people to become better people. If it's in my classroom, mm-hmm. if it's on the soccer field, if it's working with blended families, whatever it is, my overall goal is to help people grow into who God created them to be. That's my job. Mm-hmm. And then whatever I'm doing, that's just the process by which that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. A thousand percent. So much wisdom in that. I have three things that came to mind as you were chatting. So you talked about obviously, you know, walking through your transformation, you know, in your marriage, Mm -hmm. you know, which obviously lends itself to your blended family coaching in your finances. And obviously, you know, within your own, you know, purpose and the platforms which you are serving on. So talk about like how God changed your heart on a practical level. Mm-hmm. Through your, you know, marriage, through your finances, through, you know, these vehicles, like you're talking about, you know, your coaching, your teaching, et cetera. Because I think it's really important for people to know also the before and the after. Right. And the radical transformation that is possible, mm-hmm. especially when you humble yourself. Yeah, that's and that's the key part is when you are willing to make decisions that don't just take your own desires into account, you're you'll you'll be amazed at how very different your life can look and how different your decision making becomes. Um, so one of the major things from my first marriage that I didn't see as a problem until after I ended up divorced is my obsessive love for watching sports. Um, I, I, I grew up watching sports. My dad was a college athlete. Um, I played soccer for a couple years in college and I grew up playing soccer, baseball and basketball. And I, I love sports. There, there's something about them where I get a different joy on the soccer field than I do anywhere else in my life. And I've said that before. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that my wife and my kids aren't hopefully too offended by that. Cause it's not that I love sports more than them, but it's just different. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of love. Mm-hmm. When I kick a soccer ball, it's a different kind of love than I find anywhere else. That's always been true. Um, 
But the thing is, I didn't realize how much of a toll that took on my first marriage because I was prioritizing watching sports over spending time with my two very young daughters at the time. One of them was a baby. One of them was a toddler. And instead of spending time with them or my wife, I was in front of the television watching Duke basketball or watching Manchester United soccer or DC United soccer or Mets baseball or whatever season it was. Something was on for me to watch sports most nights of the week. And Mm -hmm. I didn't think that was a problem because that's what I had always done growing up and that's what I'd done as a college athlete. But now here I was married and then within a few years I'm married with a couple kids and I was still living in a way, at least in some of my decisions, I was still living the way that I had when I was a single person. I was still prioritizing mm-hmm. what I wanted over what was good for my family. And I didn't realize that or I didn't realize the degree to which that was causing problems and resentment and frustration. Um, you know, And now I look back and I regret it because that's a lot of hours I could have spent with my daughters when they were tiny that I didn't. Mm -hmm. And you you can't get that time back. Um, I'm thankful, Mm -hmm. you know, we're in lockdown quarantine kind of stuff right now. And so everybody's spending a lot more time at home. I'm grateful to get a lot more time with my daughters than I normally would and with my wife than I would. Um, But it's not the same as if I had spent that time with them when they were little. And I can't, you know, I I can't fix that. That's one of the things that um, I cannot go back and change. So, um, and so that changes my, my mindset now, because there have been plenty of times when before COVID-19 hit, there are sporting events coming on TV and I would love to watch them, but I don't want my love of watching sports to take priority over my wife and daughters. I did that once it resulted in divorce. I don't want to do it again. And so it's much easier to look at that and go, no, you know what? It's okay. It's just a soccer game. I'll catch it later or I'll catch a replay or, you know what? If I don't ever watch it, my life will not have been dented in any serious way. Mm -hmm. And when I was younger, I just, for whatever reason, that didn't occur to me. I felt like if I didn't watch every game that I wanted to watch, I really was missing out on some important part of life. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and that's just not the case. So again, that's, and that's, you know, that's not even a big example. That's just a goofy example about watching sports, but it's one of those things that it's an evidence of a changed decision-making paradigm because again, I love sports. I am ridiculously competitive and always have been. And it used to be where if Duke basketball, anytime they lost a game, I was miserable for the next week because the kids at school were going to be in a hard time and I was going to be angry at the players for not playing well or whatever it was. And now it's like, you know what, when Duke loses a game, okay, they don't know me. I, I, I don't really know them. And why should it have that big of an effect on my emotional life where I take it out on my family? Because that was the mm-hmm. other thing I mentioned earlier. I was very angry. So anytime my team lost, I would take it out on my family in the form of anger and yelling or just being short-tempered or whatever. And um, again, that didn't that obviously didn't do my marriage any favors. And so um, I'm thankful now that overall, I'm not nearly as angry as I used to be. My, my first wife once accurately described me as being constantly angry half an inch below the surface. Um, kind of like you, if you, for some of your listeners who are fans of the Avengers, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Hulk character at one point, he says, you know, that's my secret is I'm always angry. That, that, mm-hmm. that was kind of me at, at the drop of a hat. I could go from completely happy to just angry at the world. And mm-hmm. I'm not that way anymore. And I can't explain the change other than to say that God has shifted my heart to a place to where I'm a lot more content in him. And therefore, things mm-hmm. that used to make me angry very quickly don't 
nearly as often. Now, I, that's not to say I don't still lose my temper. About a month ago, I lost my temper at one of my dogs in a way that I am still embarrassed about. And I used some language I shouldn't have, and my kids heard it, and I went and apologized to them for that. Um, so it's not that I've become this perfect human being, but I definitely am angry a lot less often than I used to be. Um, I've got a big Rocky-style punching bag, the big heavy bag. I've got one of those out yeah. in my shed, right? My parents bought that for me for Christmas when I was about 15 because they were tired of me punching holes in the house. I had punched holes in almost every door and most of the walls. And this is after my dad had moved out after my parents divorced. Um, but he, he and mom bought the punching bag for me and we hung it up at the house. And I still have that same punching bag 22 years later. I've taught my kids how to hit it. But I can't remember the last time I went out and hit the punching bag in anger. Maybe, maybe two or three times in the five years we've lived in this house. And wow. I, I mean, I used to go hit that thing every single day of the week till my knuckles bled. Mm-hmm. And now oh, I don't. It's, it's, I love hearing like, it's so amazing what God can do when you really open yourself up. And I love the practical examples that you gave from a standpoint of, like you said, the priorities. Mm-hmm. So like you, in your case, sports, you know, as you know, the still living the same, but I even reflect, and I know many listeners, whether, you know, whether they're single, whether they're, you know, in a relationship, in a marriage, have kids or not, like I look at my own time and how I spend my time, it's radically different than 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Radically. Like 4.30, like 90, 80% of the time I wake up at 4.35 a.m. The first, the first hour to hour and a half of my day, it's practicing what I call a sacred seven, which includes Bible reading, prayer, you know, et cetera. Like basically like that's uninterrupted quiet time. And then it's thinking about, like you said, the order and the priorities. Like, I love that you use that word because I think now more than ever, people are really being forced to dig deep, you know, in the last week, in the last month, in the last two months, you know, I look at some people are walking through a transformation that maybe you or I walked through, you know, over years, they're having to face in a week or in a month or two months and realize where priorities were out of whack massively. Mm-hmm. And so I feel for them and I have a lot of compassion for them because right. I know our journey was very painful yep. and I'm sure you're too, but we had years to do it. Right. They've been faced for a week, for a month. And it's like, boom, change now. Like you have no choice. Yeah. And so you use that. And then I remember you talked about like, well, first addressing the anger and obviously all these impacts to your marriage, to your family, to the blended family. And then also the anger component. So I didn't punch holes, you know, and like, I, you know, guys can punch holes. I think you know, because of, again, just brute strength. But even as a girl, I remember for years, like I saw a lot of, like, I love my parents, you know, they're amazing people, but also they're human. You know, they're not perfect. Right. And I, my mom is extremely patient and compassionate. And my dad growing up was very volatile, like a volcano. Like you didn't necessarily know what was going to potentially alter him. So I had Mm -hmm. this like instability. And we don't realize as humans where we pick up right. patterns from the people, you know, generationally that they've picked up that until we become aware, you know, and or lay it, you know, at the altar and submit, we repeat the same patterns. Right. So when you talked about, like, I used to go from like being super happy to all of a sudden being super pissed off yep. and not even fully understanding why. Yep. So I definitely relate to that. And like, I think a lot of people are facing now anxiety, anger, depression, 
and making a choice of, hey, are you going to stay in this bubble and this circumstance and keep living like this? Or are you going to start choosing different things and priorities and, you know, working through that pain? So that, and then I can imagine losing your dad to cancer. Like I lost a best friend to cancer in 2013, Mm. but losing father had a dramatic impact on your own life as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm glad that I'm not the only one who's who's gone through that kind of stuff. I know there are others out there who uh, who can identify with what we've both been talking about here. Um, and again, I'm I'm really thankful to be able to sit here and talk about the transformation that I've seen in my world because of um, just allowing God to change my priorities. Just like you said, the 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 way that we spend our time and the way that we approach how we think about our time, like what should our priorities for the day be. Those are very different now than they would have been for me 10 or 15 years ago. And I'm glad because again, I can't get back the time that I lost with my kids, but I can certainly do a better job of it now. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm glad that I learned that now before they're gone to college or before they're married with their own kids or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, it is, it, it's, it's wonderful to, um, to be at a place where I am, but for people who maybe are still in the middle of the difficult parts of that, uh, I want to encourage you to keep going because it, you know, it will get better. The more you, uh, the more you depend on God, the more you find your identity in him, the more he will change your decision-making to line up with his decision-making, the more he'll change your priorities and values to line up with his priorities and values. And only good in the long run is going to come of that. There's going to be, there's going to be some painful parts of it and and life is never going to be exactly the way we might want it to be, but that's okay because we weren't meant to be a hundred percent in charge. We're meant to follow what God calls us to. And when he calls us to things that we wouldn't have chosen, that's when we need to trust that ultimately he's going to work those things out for our good. Absolutely. So much of what you said there too, and I think control is a big thing that's impacting everyone mm-hmm. now more than ever. That we, I think, like you said, we falsely in so many ways thought we were in control. Right. Because the world was running, because we could do things at the drop of a hat, whatever the case was. Like we could literally do all those things without blinking. Right. And now we are being faced astronomically with our own humanity that, Hey, as it turns out, actually you were never in control of schedule of what events you could plan and not plan where you could go travel, even hugging people now. Right. Like I'm the opposite of you. You know, I'm at home. My, I have family in New York. I have family in Colorado. I have family in Austria. I have family Mm -hmm. in uh, Bulgaria, but no one is here with me right now. Right. So I'm on the polar opposite. And, you know, and it's because of the last seven to 10 years where God has led me through that I am in complete peace. Like, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, you know, this is what my focus is right now. This is my focus on joy, on where I can be of service. No problem. It's temporary. Let me focus on the, you know, the eternal. Let me focus on the internal mm-hmm. and let me think about where I can be of service now and what seeds in the future, because that's all we can do. Right. The, yeah. Like the control illusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it, it's not that you shouldn't um, do your best to plan out what you want to do and where you want to go. You absolutely should do those things, but also, you know, 
be humble enough to say, okay, well, maybe God's calling me to something else. Uh, one of my favorite verses from the book of Proverbs says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. And I love that because it speaks to both the human responsibility and also the God's sovereignty side of things. Because that's a you know that's a great theological discussion to have is where does man's responsibility and God's sovereignty end? And the answer is I don't know. Uh, my, my youth pastor from high school, who was also my soccer coach, who is also now one of my best friends, he used to do this illustration where he'd act like he was tearing or like pulling a rubber band apart with his hands, just really struggling. And he'd say, that's, that's the tension that we live in is you don't know, mm-hmm. right? You, you do the mm-hmm. best that you can, but you also trust that God is ultimately sovereign. And, and that's mm-hmm. exactly it. The, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs mm-hmm. to the Lord. We still have our responsibility. We still have to do, we have to get up every day. We got to go to work or we've got to create what we're creating, or we've got to um, do our entrepreneurship stuff. But we've also got to trust that, whatever God is calling us to, that's what we need to be doing. And if, if what we're doing isn't working, then we need to be willing to revisit it and say, okay, well, maybe maybe God's calling me to something else. And if that's the case, okay, great. Then be humble enough to admit it and let's move on. And that's where um, I love that you, I appreciate you bringing it up earlier. The idea of courageous humility, that's what it's all about is being willing to say, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but let's try this other thing. Or you know what? I think that this thing we're doing is the right thing. We've hit some roadblocks, but I think that we can overcome mm-hmm. those. Let's keep going. Okay, great. Well, let's do that. Um, because mm-hmm. the idea is you, you have to have the courage to do what needs to be done, even though you mm-hmm. can't you can't be a hundred percent sure that that's necessarily the right thing in that moment. Um, and I think that's extremely applicable in a lot of the blended family coaching I do. Because here's the thing, again, and, and your listeners that are parts of blended families, they'll know the the utter truth of this. I cannot ever guarantee that what I'm going to tell you is going to change the heart of your ex. I can't, Mm -hmm. I cannot guarantee that anybody who's ever been married and divorced knows there's no telling what your ex is going to do. And I don't mean that as a knock, but just, right. It just, yeah. And that's true of everybody. Um, But here's what I can tell you. If you will do what I'm going to try to teach you, because I've been where you are, like the resentment, the frustration, the anger, the hurt, the pain, the, all of that that comes with divorce. I got it. I've been there. Right. Um, But here's the thing. If what you're doing isn't working, I would like to invite you along with me to try this other thing. Even if they don't change, it will change you and therefore your attitude toward them will change. Whether they ever make a different decision or not, you and I cannot control. What you can control is your heart and you can control how you respond when they act in a certain way. That's what I want to help Mm -hmm. people with. Mm -hmm. Wow, so much wisdom in that. And I love a couple of things that you highlighted there. Number one, like you said, there's this tension of the rubber band and, you know, having the, like I'm reminded of faith, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But at the same time, faith without works is dead. Right. So it's, it's having that, that in mind, which then leads into, like you said, trusting that God is sovereign. But a lot of that, like what you highlighted in Proverbs and Proverbs is such a powerful book of wisdom. Like, even if you don't believe in God, like read Proverbs, right. like it will yep. change life like like you talked about like getting the horse ready for battle but at the same time the battle is the lord's and i think a lot of people are walking through that season right now yeah like do your part like you said be courageous enough and humble enough to do your part but then as you were speaking i literally had this image come to my mind like a lot of times i have this thank god i have a park that's within a couple miles walking from my house mm-hmm. that i go to several times a week, even before this happened, but of course, even more now testing. And I sit by this stream 
And a lot of times what I reflect on in like quiet prayer and meditative time is water runs in, through, and around rocks. Mm -hmm. Flow. And a lot of times, like, I feel like literally what God is saying is like, hey, I want you to flow in passion and purpose. You're not going to know, like, faith without, the faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you can have a vision, but you don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And it's like when water is flowing through a river or a stream, it doesn't know necessarily what the next boulder is going to be or the next, like, I've gone white water rafting. So also I think of that. That's why it comes to mind that you don't know exactly when the next boulder is coming up or the next waterfall. Like you're just literally along for the ride mm. as a co-pilot. Right. So, yeah. so as you were talking about that, I was imagining like the water flowing, like, and it, like you said, like too many times we get in our own heads where it's like, well, I wanted this to happen. Like I'm reminded, like I used to be a, a complete control freak, complete control freak, but a lot, literally, but a lot of that came from things that I witnessed, you know, in, in family and instability from an abusive relationship. I walked through domestic violence in my early twenties. So a lot of that came from, oh, I can't control this, this, and this, and this but I can control my performance. I can control this. So, and through that, a lot of anger issues would come up. But obviously as God started to change, change my heart, I was reminded like, hey, like you said, try this. I'm not gonna necessarily tell you the outcome. And I'm reminded of a gardener. So besides the river, I'm reminded of a gardener. And like the book of Ruth reminds me a lot of this or, you know, Joseph's story in Genesis. Like he was given the vision, but it's like, God is like, I'm going to take you through this process of like, for example, Ruth, Ruth and Boaz. Mm -hmm. is, well, you're going to come from Moab. You're going to come to Bethlehem, back to Bethlehem. You're going to plant. You're, you're, you're literally walking into a harvest, but then you're literally like as humans, we're often gardeners. We're planting, we're reaping, we're sowing, but we don't know what seed will produce what harvest. Mm, yep, absolutely. It's that trust. And then Joseph, Joseph was given the vision and, you know, and he's the bonehead. So I'm, I, you know, God reminds me a lot. Like, he's like, Hey, you used to be a lot like Joseph. <laughs> then he tells his brothers, Hey, I have this vision and you're going to bow down to me. Right. But he only sees like 2% of the vision. And then he's, you know, sold into slavery. He's in Potiphar's house. He upholds his integrity the, you know, Potiphar's wife lies, you know, about him. He's thrown into prison where God is with him. He's humbling him, but he's still faithful. He translates the dreams, you know, the cup there and, you know, the other gentlemen forget about him. And, and he has to be patient. So I'm reminded of all these things, you know, and I think about like your journey or even things I've walked through or anyone listening and anyone that they're walking through different things to keep all these things in mind. And I'm not saying the emotions, you know, are easy. I'm not saying like, I'm not discounting any of the pain at all, but I'm reminded, you know, all of that. And then also as you transformed, you know, your finances, you know, in your case, Joel, uh, or you also Formed your, you know, like your own, you know, from all the previous positions into teaching, into entrepreneurship. So let's talk about like what else comes to mind with you with all that. 
and anything you want to highlight from a practical level transformationally in finance and in entrepreneurship. Yeah, certainly. So some of the big things in terms of um, uh, transformation is you've, you've got to be willing to change the little things in order to see big changes. One of the great books about this recently uh, came out, I think it was last year, it's called Atomic Habits. And I first heard about it on the, yeah. Jordan, the Jordan Harbinger show. The author of it was um, was interviewed, and he was talking about how uh, in order to see giant transformations, you you have to be willing to make changes, but they don't have to be giant changes all at one time. In fact, if they are, they're not likely to be permanent. I mean, just think of how many people make New Year's resolutions and how many of those revol- resolutions have completely gone out the window by January 31st. Um, so one of the major practical things I learned is just to make little changes, but consistently make those little changes that then develop into big changes over time. Um, and so, you know, if it's something like trying to uh, to uh, lose weight, you know, okay, so eat dessert one less night per week and then, you know, eat dessert two nights less per week. Like it, it, It's not a huge change, but you will see a difference over time if you do those things, right? Mm-hmm. Same kind of thing you talked mm-hmm. about where, you know, get up in the morning and you spend your quiet time or your devotional time. Um, it doesn't have to be giant. It doesn't have to be 30 or 40 minutes, but take, take five minutes in the morning and just write down five things that you're thankful for and five things that you're mm-hmm. looking forward to that day. And it will, it will change your mindset about that day because now you have things that you're look, practical things you're looking at that you are looking forward to because you just consciously took a couple of minutes to think about them, right? That kind of stuff. Um, same sort of thing with finances. I used to be really good at going out to eat all the time and just gorging myself on fast food, uh, which is why after my divorce, I was both broke and really fat um, because I was, I was great at just eating fast food all the time. And um, mm-hmm. it became untenable. Uh, again, five foot three, I got up to almost 200 pounds and um, was very fortunate to have a great workout partner who helped me drop about 45 of those pounds in a three and a half month period. Um, and that lady and I are now married. Um, she was she was my workout partner before we ever dated. And then after that, we started dating and, and now we've been married almost six years. I've kept most of it off. And a large part of that is because my eating habits have changed. And that's, that's because um, of a lot of her help in terms of, okay, instead of going out to eat, we're going to have a home cooked meal. And instead of eating just junk food, we're going to have some healthier snacks. And again, it wasn't all at one time, but it's a, it's a series of small changes because that's also one that helps with the finances. Cause if you're not going out to eat all the time, you're saving a little bit of money, right? Or if you're a person who goes out every Friday and Saturday night and spends a lot of money on drinks, okay, maybe just pick one of those nights. And then the other, you know, whatever you would have spent the other of those nights, just put it in a savings account. And you'll be amazed at how much you'll rack up in your savings account over the course of six months or a year or a couple of years. Um, and that's, again, that's just taking one little small change, but applying it over a long period of time. Uh, and so those are some of the things that I've seen uh, in my world that um, hopefully will also resonate with some of your listeners in terms of being able to make those small changes that will, you know, eventually become large changes. No, that's massive. And they will absolutely resonate because I can tell you, like, I immediately resonated when I was reading your story, because when I moved to Atlanta, I was, you know, 40 to 55 pounds heavier than I am now. Mm-hmm. When I took Dave Ramsey's financial peace class for mm-hmm. the first time, I looked at my budget and was horrified as a single person between groceries, going grocery shopping, hungry, right, eating and drinking. I was spending 800 and eating out, of course. And drinking alcohol, I was drink. I was spending eight hundred to a thousand dollars a month in food. 
nice. and drinking. Fast forward to to your point, small chases, small choices over time. Yeah. When I got serious in 2013, changing and replacing over a year and a half, lost 55 pounds and have kept it off. Mm. You know, the same approach, you know, use with clients across, you know, our courses, events, et cetera. Like it's the same thing, whether you're talking about health, whether you're talking about money and business, because that's what finally made everything sustainable. Because for years I tried, oh, the quick fix. Oh, let me do this. Oh, let me make it goal focused as opposed to a lifestyle. Right. So completely. And to your point, it immediately impacts your budget and your bottom line. So absolutely like small habits over time literally lead to massive momentum, you know, in life. Right. So let's circle back to courageous humility and, you know, how that term first came to you Mm -hmm. and then how that relates to your blended family coaching, to your speaking and to your life. Yeah. So when I first started doing the professional speaking, I focused on leadership uh, for about two years and kind of my, my, my motto or my tagline for that was this idea of what I called confident humility to begin with, um, because it was the idea of um, taking your gifts and knowing what you're good at. That was the confidence part. And then the humility is using it in service of other people. So that was the idea. And then I've been working with uh, a couple different speaker coaches for the past year or so. And in talking with it, like during that time, it was really funny. Some other person wrote a book called Courageous Humility. And it was like, well, or Confident Humility. And I thought, oh, well, crap, I don't want to use that anymore because I don't want to have any copyright issues. Or like, I don't know if I was using the word, the term first or if he was, but you know, his book probably sold a lot more than mine. So I don't want to, you know, get in an argument about that. So I decided to, to kind of change it from Confident Humility to Courageous Humility, because the, then the emphasis becomes not just on using your gifts to serve other people, but having the courage to actually do that in a way that doesn't have anything to do with you getting the accolades for it. That's really the, the, the emphasis on the humility part. Because again, with my blended family work, anyone, again, anyone who's been in the situation can tell you it's going to take a lot of gumption to do things that you don't want to do that might benefit your ex, but they're, they're just the right thing to do. Because for a lot of people, mm-hmm. when you're when you're divorced, it's, it's angry and it's bitter and it's resentful. And I get that. Um, or, or, or resentment filled, but you, you still have to be willing to do the right thing and being willing mm-hmm. to do the right thing when it's not fun and when it's hard takes courage. And so that's where this idea mm-hmm. of courageous humility came in. And so then when, when sort of pivoting from uh, doing strictly leadership to doing a lot more blended family work, I, it was just the same principles that I used for leadership. But the question became, how do these apply specifically in a blended family setting? And from there, I put together what I call my 10 commandments for blended family life. And that's, that's the major focus of what I teach blended families now. Um, and it's, again, it's all about asking the question, what is the right thing to do instead of the question, mm-hmm. what do I want to happen? And that's a very mm-hmm. different question, but it's also, that's a lot to ask of someone who is in a blended family, because oftentimes what we want and what may be the actual best are not necessarily mm-hmm. the same thing. So um, from there, I kind of, no, sorry. Well, so from there, I came up with two major principles that uh, undergird everything that I teach. One of them is to um, be the adult you want your kids to become, right? Be a mm-hmm. good role model for them. And the second one is to remember the golden rule from our childhood: treat other people the way that you want to be treated, and that includes mm-hmm. your ex. 
And that's where that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it gets really difficult because it's really easy to do that with people that we like. It's really hard to love our enemies the way the Bible teaches. It's really hard to love people that we dislike or that have hurt us or that we have hurt or that we have a lot of uncomfortable history with or whatever it may be. Um, and so mm-hmm. those are those are kind of that's how those things tie together in terms of the courageous humility and the, the blended family teaching. I love that because to your point, oftentimes it's literally sacrificing your pride. So whether it's related to a blended family or whether it's related to a friend or a relationship or your business, you know, a lot of times, you know, we're all imperfectly human. And so none of us, you know, ever walks around doing everything perfectly, you know, and that's why I'm so grateful for mercy and grace. Absolutely. And it's, and it's in those moments. So when I think of courageous humility, it's I think of in those moments where my natural or anyone's natural human response is to react negatively, right. whether it's in a blended family again or business or finance or anything, any type of relationship. It's the natural inclination. And that I'm definitely used to have tons of practice in this is for me to fly off the handle. Right. Right. But it's me then remembering, okay. God, you've given me all this mercy and grace and compassion, and you've forgiven me so much. Right. Let me swallow this. Let me be nice. Like, let me, let me respond with love. Like you said, like your two principles is focused on the person you want to be. So I think of it in a term, you know, in the terms of being like the friend or the future wife or, you know, the business leader and who I want to attract in the community. So I think it's relatable to anyone and whatever aspect you're in. And then the golden rule, it's be, you know, treat people how you want to be treated. So, and knowing, like, I remind myself, I've been asked plenty of times in life. So let me be nice no matter what. And it may come back to me in this situation and it may not. But let me know I'm doing it for the greater good of the team. And, right. you know, and either way, I'm planting good fruit. I'm planting great fruit and I'm focusing on bringing salt and light to the earth. So I think it's a lot of that is where's your focus. So I love where you centered that. And as I look at a lot of your, um, you know, focuses as far as presentations, Joel, and speaking that you offer, it's, you know, virtues and vices, you know, cur- courageous humility and the three C's. Or victim or victor, and your story is your power, and I massively relate to that. And inverted and extraordinary, you know, le- leading others by forgetting about yourself. And I, um, at one point, actually had Gandhi's quote: "Be the change you want to see in the world." And I actually changed that. I changed it to "Create the world you want to see," because I think it goes back to that we do have creative, you know, co-creative power. And then I love your, you know, focus on obstacles or opportunities and overcoming adversity mm-hmm. by leading perseverance and courage. So um, anything that you want to share on any of those talks, and I know you've spoken with, you know, Military Order of World Wars, with Youth Leadership Conference, you've spoken at Duke University and their institute, Jacksonville State, and, you know, any number of places that you've been featured as well, you know, as well as NBC and more. So anything else you want to highlight, you know, whether it's on the blended family aspect or on your speaking? Yeah, well, thank you. I am, uh, again, I've been very blessed to be able to share uh, those messages at different places. And again, the, the key part of all of them is reminding people about this idea of courageous humility. Um, the, the way that you tell your story 
um, really does say a lot about you, but it also is the opportunity you have to connect with other people. Um, I was actually listening to a business guy talk the other day and he said, um, one of the best things you can do to connect with others is to be yourself, but tell your story in a way that helps other people feel like you are listening to them as well. That is make it so that your story incorporates the audience. And I thought that's exactly right because one of the big things I've learned, whether you listen to uh, people like Grant Baldwin, who's a great speaker coach or um, John Acuff, who's real big in that same kind of space, they all say the same sort of thing. When you're on stage, it's not actually about you. You think, you know, it's easy to think it is because the lights are on you and you've got the microphone, everybody's looking your direction, but the reality is it's just like being in a classroom. When I'm in the classroom, it's not about me. It's about my students. And when I'm on the stage, it's not about me. It's about the people in the audience. And when I'm working with blended families, it's not about me. It's not about how many books I've read or the knowledge that I have or the experiences I've had or the mistakes that I've made. It's about how can I help you move your family forward. And that's, mm-hmm. that, that is the, that's the centerpiece. That's the key of all of those different talks that you mentioned. Thank you for mentioning those, by the way, because um, it is, it's a, it's a real blessing to get to share a lot of those different messages in different locations. And uh, it's something that I've, I've been, um, like I said, I've been blessed to do and I enjoy doing it. Um, it's, it's really funny. I was speaking with uh, an event planner the other day and I said, listen, um, I have spent the better part of my adult life, you know, most of the last 14 years, I've been teaching high school kids and there is no tougher audience in the world than a group of jaded, snarky 14 and 15 year olds on a rainy Monday morning. I'm, I'm just telling you, there's no harder audience in the world than a bunch of snarky teenagers that don't want to be there. You put me in a room full of people that already want to hear what I have to say, we're going to have a great time. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and so I, I, again, I love doing that kind of stuff. I love working with blended families and helping them see that whatever their situation is, we together can make it better. We can help your family mm-hmm. grow. One of the, one of the lines I've used with people is I, I want to help you take your blended family from terrible to bearable and beyond. Because if you're, yeah, well, you know, and hopefully a lot of people will come to me before their blended family is terrible. Hopefully they can come to yes. me when it's, okay, things are bearable right now, but we'd really like it to be better. Wonderful. Then let's start where you are and let's move forward. Uh, I'm always, I love the quote from uh, President Teddy Roosevelt from over a hundred years ago when he said, you know, do the best you can with what you have where you are. Right. And that, mm-hmm. that's what we do when we, whether it's leadership, blended families or anything else, you work with, what you, you know, you take what you have and you do the best you can with it. You start what, with what you have, where you are, and then you move forward. And that's the ultimate goal of all of those different presentations, just to help other people. I love that. So, so much of what you said there, just to re-highlight, emphasize for the listeners is like you said, number one, the courageous humility and always leading with that. And the second point that I wrote down, which ties exactly to your uh, Teddy Roosevelt quote, and I remember that you mentioned this in your creator series piece as well, is being of best service, like being Mm -hmm. like with where you are, with what you know, with what you have in that moment, right? Because a lot of times we do have preparation time, but a lot of times we don't, and especially when you're speaking or you're serving, you know, someone in that moment, something comes up, and it's that ability to, in that moment, take that leap of courageous humility and say, okay, with what I have right now, this is how I can best serve you now, but maybe something else will come up later and acknowledging your humanity. And then I love what you highlighted as well. Like two words that come to mind massively is both value, like valuing people, valuing yourself, but also valuing others 
you know, and, and recognizing their value as human beings, no matter what, you know, position they're in, no matter what they have or don't have and honor. Like, I think through this, through this pandemic, through just in general, globally, if we as, you know, humanity remember to value and honor and serve and focus on courageous humility, I think, you know, our world can dramatically change in the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years, you know, the next hundred years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're exactly right. Again, the whole point is to, uh, as an entrepreneur, the whole point is to add value to other people. How can we best serve? How can we best help them? And uh, again, it's something that I'm very thankful to be able to do in a way that I also enjoy doing it. Because uh, again, if you know, if I'm working as a bag boy at a grocery store, I'm adding value to people because I'm helping them get their groceries in a way that they can get them to their car easier. That's fine. Um, and that's a great way to add value, but it's it's not the way that I would enjoy doing it these days. You know, it was a, it was a good job when I was younger. It's not one I'd like to have again, but the idea is the same. Whatever task I'm in, how can mm-hmm. I do it best to serve the people that I need to be serving right then? Thousand percent. Um, any, where do you see the future of courageous humility going? Like what is on your heart? Anything else to share? So my goal is to be able to help lots and lots of blended families um, understand this idea of courageous humility in the next year. I've got a couple of different online events coming up this summer that I'm a part of. I've got an online event about blended families that I'm actually putting on in late June. Um, I'm working on a book right now about blended family life that's going to talk a lot about the idea of courageous humility. And so, um, you know, I'm working on a... uh, uh, video course as well, an online course. Uh, I've already put together what I call my complete family t- uh, step family toolkit. And so uh, that one's mm-hmm. actually finished. Any of your listeners that want it, if they'll send me an email, I'll send it to them free. It's got six different tools, uh, including a seven day blended family devotional and, and a bunch of other things that will immediately help you think about your family situation differently. Um, and so again, the, the goal right now is just to figure out what else I can do to help other families like ours learn to live better, more productive, more cooperative, more positive lifestyles together. That's, that's the hope. That's the goal. Love that. Anything else you want to share and or where can they find you, Joel? Um, I am uh, pretty active on social media right now. I'm on uh, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. And um, I'm, I'm thinking about hopping on Instagram sometime pretty soon. So hopefully people can find me on there as well. You can come by any, yeah. of, uh, any of my websites. Um, stepdadding.com is the easiest one if you're looking for the Blended Family Toolkit because it's right there on the homepage. Um, come by reallifeleading.com to find a lot of my other uh, information as well as there'll be a link to this podcast interview and a bunch of other ones. Um, and you can come by my speaker website, which is joelwhallbaker.com if you want to see my demo reel and uh, the uh, the presentations that you mentioned earlier, people can see descriptions of those and, and things like that. So again, any, anybody that wants to connect with me, I would love to talk with them, whether it's about history, blended family, sports, whatever. Um, but yeah, anybody that's interested in that uh, complete step family toolkit, shoot me an email or connect with me on social media and, and I'll send it to you. And the same thing goes for my leadership books that I've written. I've got them in... Um, uh, PDF form. And so anybody who's got an e-reader or reads them on their phone, if you're interested in any of my books, just send me an email. I'll send them to you free. I'm not, I've never been worried about trying to make a lot of money off the books. I just want people to have them. And so if you're interested, shoot me an email, I'll send you the book. Love that. 
have I have enjoyed this conversation so so much. It's been such a pleasure learning about you through the creator series, through you know our uh, communication of the last month, mm-hmm. through hosting you on the show. Super grateful to learn from you and to dive deeper into the focus of courageous humility. Anything else you want to share with um, the community, Joel? Yeah, thank you. That I mean, I've had a great time as well. I enjoyed uh, getting to know you through this process, and, and I've enjoyed interviewing with you. Um, again, I'm I'm thankful to to have had the chance to share, uh, and I'm grateful to be able to tell a story of redemption. Uh, I'm thankful to Christ for saving me and for showing me a different life than what I had lived previously. Uh, and again, that's something that I'm more than willing to talk with any of your listeners about if they want to connect and uh, and chat. So thank you very much for having me on. I, I'm really really grateful. Absolutely love that. And um, I reflect myself on redemption on a daily basis with God. And one of my I am statements in the mornings is always I am redeemed. So I Mm. absolutely love that you ended on that note. Thank you so, so much, Joel. Yeah, absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. Okay, Joel, I'll cut it right there. Okay. Um, How do you feel? I feel good. Thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. I've really, really had a good time. Awesome. So grateful. Um, went a bit over, but I think it flowed great. <laughs> and I'm grateful that we both had the time. I learned a long time ago, just bacon time. I just learned. Nice. Okay. Well, good. Well, thank you very much. Again, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm glad we're able to, uh, to have the conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. Awesome. Likewise, so, so much. So like I shared earlier, um, this will be up uh, later this week and, you know, and I'll, I'll send you the links for the creator series. I'll send you the link for all the shows, everything so that you can share it wherever you want. Awesome. That sounds great. I look forward to sharing it. Um, are you familiar with the song Redeemed by Big Daddy Weave? No. You should, you should look it up and listen to it because when you mention that like that, it's one of my favorite songs of the past 10 years. Uh, we used to sing it at our school's um, chapel you know, once a week. And it is wonderful. Anytime I hear that word, that's, that's the song that comes to my brain. So check that one out. I will. I will definitely tune into that. And you actually prompted me to share something else too. Have you and your family seen yet the movie? I still believe. I have not seen that movie yet. Oh my God. Go like, it's the story of Jeremy camp. Mm -hmm. So one of the songs, was like I so I was drawn to watch that movie um right when it came out and it's on Prime now for like ten dollars. Okay, I was say I, I know is, you mentioned it in your email. Yeah, it is absolutely amazing. And okay. the song that came when you were talking about Redeemed is um the song that drew me was not only the I Still Believe song, of course, but also Jeremy Camp. You probably you may have heard of this too. He has a song called Father, which is absolutely incredible that I have on repeat lately. Nice. I haven't heard that one. I'll have to check that yeah. one out. Um, I, okay. Like on the theme of redemption, it is absolutely beautiful. Okay. Yeah. I, um, we watched, um, I can only imagine at school a couple years ago and that movie, oh, yeah. I just, I, I cry funny. every time I watch it, but it's so good. I, have, I bought that movie and I have it and I watch it usually at least like once every two months, like the mercy, this story, Bart's story oh. is so, mind-blowing like another one that you might really love that you just reminded me of is have you seen the movie faith under fire with antoinette tough i have not it's a true story about a teacher so you're going to relate to this massively so she was a teacher in georgia Mm -hmm. and a gunman came to the school 
Oh. And that day, she, yeah, she's normally an accountant. And so normally she was never in the front office, ever. And that day, through obviously divine providence and you know arrangement and alignment, she was the one that happened to be in the front office. Wow. And she ended up talking the woman out of going into the school. Wow. Okay. It's super powerful. Um, uh, Tony Braxton, who's who is who plays her in the movie, mm-hmm. she may end up, Antoinette Tuff, the real life lady, may actually end up being on our show. I've reached out to her in the past. Cool. So you just prompted me to reach out again. It happened in her life. Awesome. But it's an incredible movie, Faith Under Fire. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I will definitely have the song Redeem. Yeah. I recommend, you I still believe highly that song okay. and the Faith Under Fire. As family slash devotional slash student, whatever you want to use it for. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to check all that stuff out. Thank you very much. Let's make sure I wrote Absolutely. those down on my post. Thanks post-it. again, Joel. Enjoy. Yes, ma'am. I've had a great time. Awesome. Thank you. Me too. I and, have no uh, yeah, just let me know when everything's ready to go and I'll be blasting it out. Awesome. Thanks again. All right. Thank you, ma'am. Bye. Bye bye. And if you would love to be featured in our creator series, take a look as a creator at the bottom of the blog post that's linked in the show notes with all the details with the questionnaire and more. And we have features in our travel publication, our wellness publication, and inspiring with influence options as that would love to know more about our features on our website, on other press sites, and our media packages, online and live, and more, feel free to take a look at our brand page and or send us an email at info at fitlifecreation.com. Let's create podcast with me, Katrina Julia. This is all about helping you create a life and a business you love hands-on with tips, tools, and technology. It's about the freedom, freedom of expression, of time, of location, of community, and ultimately financial freedom. I understand the struggle. I've been there. I've walked through and continue to walk through Walking from fear to faith, devaluing to purity, self-hate to love, corporate to calling, and bondage to freedom. So it's been quite a journey, as you can see. I'm walking right there with you on your own journey to create a life and business you love. So you will learn all the things about wellness about media, about lifestyle, and travel. You will learn how I'm creating it and how you can create it too. So who am I? I'm Katrina Julia. I'm a lifestyle entrepreneur, a creator, and a traveler. Where we talk all the things on faith, wellness, money, marketing, business, and travel so you create a life and business already. Head on over to the blog, the podcast, and the freebies to jumpstart your transformation. If you're ready to dive into the online courses, the live events, 
or the retreat. And if you want to create with our community on an even deeper level, definitely check out our internships, our influencer collaborations, management, and brand engagement. Let's create it.